Everyone's moving backwards. Even Grandpa's moved to the back row. <laughs> Backslidden Christians. Let's pray and then we'll start. Father, we come um, to this place to meet with you. We come to uh, try to learn about you more. God, we say that you are the most important thing in our lives, and yet uh, our behavior is sometimes different than that. And so I pray, God, that, that even this morning we would understand how important this time will be when uh, we hear from you, hear from your word. God, I pray you'd bless us, uh, change us this morning in your name. Amen. We've been going through the study of an integrity, and we've been using Psalm 15 to, uh, to be kind of our jump, our springboard, I guess. We keep going back to it. And so let's just go ahead and I'll read Psalm 15 in its entirety real quick, and then I'll start on the verses that I've been assigned here. Psalm 15, starting verse 1, says this, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Um, the last few weeks when we've come... I've got to make this thing higher. The last few weeks that when we've come together here for these messages, um, I've been noticing in my own heart at least a, a callousness to start off the message where I've been kind of just going into a, a zone and not really entering into what the, the truth that's being shared is all about. And so I guess it's, it's my prayer today uh, that we could refocus, that we could uh, come together and say, God, this is a time you've set apart for us to connect back with you, to try to understand what you want for our lives. Because that's a serious thing, isn't it? If we say that we are um, going to be focused on the Lord Jesus, if we say we're going to be about His service, then a time that's dedicated to learning how to be about His work is an important time, isn't it? And not just because I'm the one talking for sure, but uh, because we need to hear from God. Let's, uh, let's focus in and understand. Try say, God, please help us to, to let the Word permeate into our lives. I think that will be a, an excellent exercise for us this morning. This thing's broken. We've been talking about integrity. And why integrity? Why is it so important? Um, at an award ceremony, National Honor Society, um, we had for both my brother... Got into it, and then Karen got into it, and that was it. Who got into it in the family? We were at that um, honor society and at a sec very secular place, and they, they mentioned the word integrity. We've had some dynamite definitions of integrity, so think back of what those definitions are. I'd like to build on that with this. Um, they mentioned here uh, at that honor society, as they were calling my brother and my sister people of integrity, they said integrity is who you are when no one else is watching. Who you are when no one else is watching. And I thought that was interesting. Integrity means that you're the same when people are around as you are when no one's watching. That your character remains true. 
but you're not a different person. And I remember sitting in the, um, in the audience hearing that both times on separate occasions, that definition of integrity, and, and having it penetrate into my heart, knowing that, that I was not a person of integrity. Because I was definitely someone different when I was by myself um, than I was when others were watching. Maya has been going through some serious uh, trauma in her life, and I, I uh, hesitate to share stories about my kids because um, a recent study has shown that speakers that share stories, uh, intimate stories, about their children from the public have, uh, those kids tend to be scarred for a long period of time. And so I, uh, I want to be careful when I do that. Because I don't want to scar people like some have. <laughs> but um, Maya has been rudely awakened to this reality where she really is starting to think that her mom can see through walls. Where she thinks that Abby has this sort of weird sixth sense. Um, recently, I won't tell you what Maya's been doing, but uh, Abby continues to know when Maya's up to this and, and says, Maya, don't do that. And Maya, Maya's response is not, oh, I'm sorry. It's, Mommy, how did you see me? <laughs> and then Abby's response is, oh, Maya, you need to do what's right even when Mommy can't see you. And that's been, honestly, for Maya, a, a learning thing. She, this idea that she has to behave when no one else is around. So I thought that was interesting um, that we talk about integrity. And I want to just add that little piece of what integrity is to it here. We're going to be looking at two character studies. I've been given two verses out, or two partial verses out of Psalm 15. So we're going to look at two people. Psalm 15 Verse 4b, or c, depending on how you break it up, I guess. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. The summer of 2001 was an awesome summer. I got the opportunity, the chance to go up to Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of my favorite cities, and I got to work with um, a youth group all summer. It was Longfellow Gospel Chapel that um, had me come up and as part of my internship um, with Emmaus through my youth ministry program, I got to work with this youth group. And one of the kids that I worked with, it was pretty funny, it was all um, Indian kids. There was six or seven Indian kids. And then I had Isaac Elgard, the one white red-headed kid. So we'd walk into a place, you know, six Indian kids and then Elgard. And everybody was like, what the? <laughs> it was awesome. But one of the kids that was so special was a, guy, a, little, a boy named Sammy. And he's not a little boy anymore. Um, and Sammy, one time as we were driving in my truck um, to go play soccer in the park, um, said, Benj, I've been wanting to talk to you about something for a while. When I was born, I was premature, and the doctors didn't think that I was going to make it. And so my parents started to pray. And they said, God, if, if only you, you'll spare my son, Sam, that you will, uh, will let him live, then we'll dedicate him to your service. And as I was talking to Sammy in the truck, he said, you know, I've never told anyone this before, but I don't know if that's what I want for my life. He said, I don't know if I, if I want someone else to decide, you know, what, what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. And uh, boy, that was an awesome opening into to his heart and, and just a cool opportunity for us to share with uh, what our motivations to serve the Lord are. The cool thing is, is that somewhere along the line, um, God did grab a hold of Sam's, um, Sam's heart, and he has been in several 
internships with uh, Christian men, working towards making sure that his life counts for the Lord. But because of this um, commitment that they made, they named him Samuel. Um, and that's the first character study that we're going to do, is Hannah. So turn in your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah, it's the story of Hannah, which incidentally is spelled the same forward and backward. Heidi, where's Heidi? You were telling me what that is. What's the word for that? A palindrome. We had a lot of guesses at, around the fire at the campfire what that is, but palindrome. Okay. So Elkanah is the guy we're going to read about here. Verse 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathim Zaphim. I checked on that. That's correct. From the hill country of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zupha, and an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. So we have Elkanah, Hannah, and Panana, depending on how you pronounce it. But he had two wives, which is shocking to me. I can barely handle one wife. I got my hands full with one, you know. But he had two, and uh, one wife, Hannah, he loved. Unfortunately, as we read through the story, Hannah um, was barren. She had no children. And the other lady, Panana, Panina, Panina, she did not like the favor that was being shown towards Hannah, and she had lots of children. And so... Every year, and I'm several different times throughout, she would mock Hannah and would wound Hannah with, the, with really Hannah's greatest hurt that she had no children. And so we pick up the story in verse 7 um, because Elkanah finds Hannah, uh, finds her, her weeping bitterly. It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her so that she wept and would not eat. Um, Hannah, obviously, it hurt her deeply and, and that she didn't have any children. And so, this is where our story starts. It starts with a deep wound, um, the deepest wound that Hannah had. And then it moves to a vow that she makes to the Lord. Verse 11. So if you have your Bible, verse, go to verse 11. We'll read that. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. So she makes this vow with the Lord, this promise with God, and says, listen, if you open up my womb, if you allow me to have a son, I promise God that I will give that child into your service. Uh, basically, she was going to commit him over to Levitical service, which was, these were the priests, the people that came before God for the nation of Israel. These were God's men, okay? And that's what she was promising them, them towards. Well, the story goes on because God answers his prayer, uh, her prayer. Verse 24 says this, Now when she had weaned him, so obviously, I skipped over there, God gives her a son, and she has a baby, a miracle. And then she says this, her sacrifice, it talks about. 
Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Listen to this. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. You see, Hannah carried the vow that she made out to completion, didn't she? She took her son, who now was her prized possession, the son that she had longed for and prayed for, had been given to her by the Lord, and now she brings the child after she had weaned it. That means that the baby was you know, old enough. I, you know, they, I looked in commentaries and they, there's differing opinions about how old exactly. But she brought the child and she did what she said she was going to do. Later in the, in the chapter, if you read on, it talks about her visiting him year to year. And uh, the inclination that we get is that she sees this son her precious promised son one time a year. See, as we dig in um, and we look at this vow that she took, this was not an easy vow, was it? This was not a simple or, or careless decision that she was making. But Hannah, in her integrity, stayed true to what she had promised, what she had vowed to do. And even out of her deepest hurt when that promise when the Lord was fulfilled that she had a son she gave that son back to the Lord um, in an amazing act of obedience in an amazing act of integrity because I can tell you what I would not be able to do that standing before you now that, that would not be uh, to my shame something that I would be willing to do and yet even in her hurt she gives this son over to the Lord and if you read the story of Samuel Israel was blessed because of it and Hannah was honored. What can we learn from this story? What, is, uh, what do we get out of the story of Hannah? Well, we need to take a look at our integrity, don't we? Um, we need to look at if, whether we are willing to swear to our own hurt, whether we are willing to follow through on the promises that we make, even when it's hard. Bradley, have you ever made a vow before in your life? Yes. Name name one vow that you've made. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I I could even say you could use a stronger word than possibly. Go ahead though. Yeah, tell me about that vow. And how's that working out for you? A lot of us in here have made vows, haven't we? And the most common vow that I, that I can think of that we make is, is this, the marriage vow, the commitment um, to our, our spouse, this promise to our spouse that, that we'll be there. Like Bradley said, he, that was beautiful, that we would give my entire self to that person. 
And that's a vow that we need to follow up on. If we are going to be people of integrity, that vow needs to become serious to us on a regular basis, doesn't it? The Bible warns in other areas of, of making sure that we're careful to make vows because it's a serious thing. There's a story, trivia for you. Who is the name of the guy that made a vow to the Lord after winning, I believe it's a great battle, said, whatever comes out of my tent first, God, I will give it to you. What's that, the name of that person? Jephthah. Jephthah. And what came out, Grandpa, of the door, the first, first thing that came out? Do you remember what came out of the, his tent? His own daughter. And uh, that, that's an awful story if you read it. But he had committed to give over to the Lord whatever came out of his, his tent. And the first thing that comes out is, is his daughter. Um, he made a vow, and, and we read that he um, followed through, so I guess that's integrity in a weird, twisted way. But uh, we, need to be, we need to be careful about our vows uh, and our promises because we need to be people of integrity that follow through on, on what we say, right? Um, what does that mean in, in simple ways? Um, if, we, if we break it down, what's the principle or what's the, the heart of some of what this is saying? Um, it means that we need to keep on, on a real practical level, we need to keep our commitments. We need to be people that if we say we're going to do something, follow through, don't we? I, uh, I bragged to a lot of you, and this is embarrassing, but in my arrogance as I was telling people about the biggest loser that was done at uh, Medline, I was talking, you know, talking with Micah and Leah who were on my team, talking to my parents, just telling them how great I was going to do, you know, because, man, I've never gotten to lose weight with the possibility of money being given to me at the end, you know. And so I had these great boasts about how, how good I was going to do. And um, I did lose 18 pounds, which with my uh, regiment I have gained it back successfully here. Um, <laughs> but I lost 18 pounds, and I have been telling them how I was planning on losing 30 to 40 pounds in this competition. And uh, man, it just seems like every time that I, I boast about myself in some way, it's just, God just does not let it follow, does not let me come through on it. It always seems to bite me. But I was unable to follow through to this great statement, this great uh, proclamation that I made. And you know what? My integrity took a hit for it. Now maybe you're saying, no, that's silly. That's just something small. But if we are to be people of integrity, our yes needs to be yes and our no needs to be no. Um, we have to be true to what we say. If we say we're going to help someone out, we're going to be there at 9 o'clock. You know what? If we show up at 9.45 late, man, our, our integrity takes a hit. I saw that, by the way. <laughs> that little elbow jab. <laughs> And I wasn't necessarily pointing at the Vons. It could have been anyone in here. Just because I went like this, I should have. But I don't, that rings true to me, and I'll get off it now. But we need to be true to our commitments. We need to say, God, by your spirit, I want to be a man of integrity that does what I say I will do and doesn't say I will do things that I know I can't. And when I say that I'm going to do something, I will do it to my full extent and with your help. And that's what integrity looks like. Hannah made a commitment to the Lord and with the Spirit's, well, with God's strength, she followed through, didn't she?
amazing integrity. The second verse I've been given is Psalm 15.3. 15.3. The last part of it says, Nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Friendship. And the character study we're going to look at here is Jonathan and David. But we're going to focus in on Jonathan. Because this guy knew how to be a friend. Um, I went to Webster's Dictionary. I like to do that, you know, when you're, you're kind of... Sometimes, you know, you go to the Bible Dictionary, you go to Webster's um, Dictionary, it's kind of a neat thing. And this is what Webster did to me. First off, um, online you can do that little thing where it pronounces it for you. <laughs> I love hitting that tool. That tool has an amazing ability to take the most common English word like friendship and change it into something that sounds like it should be from a foreign language, you know, like friendship. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> Just say it normal because it's trying to pronounce it for you, so... It's friendship, according to Webster's online. But friendship, according to Webster's, is the state of being friends. Isn't that nice? Or, this is even deeper, I feel like, the quality or state of being friendly. Isn't that what friendship is all about, being friendly? All right. Thank you, Webster. So I went to some real experts instead, and I asked a young girl named Maya Elizabeth Liverance, and I said to her, What, Maya? is friendship, and I better read these so I don't uh, misquote her. <clears throat> when you love each other, then you're friends. Friendship is when you be a friend forever and ever and ever and ever. How do you treat friends? When you have to go by, you hug and you kiss. And when you go to their house, you have to share toys. Notice, when you go to their house, you have to share toys. <laughs> Not when they come to your house. I thought that was an interesting distinction she made. When I was checking in uh, Maya last night, they always make me tell them about the day, and I can't get by without doing it since Abby started it. Thank you, Abby. And so I have to tell them the, the different steps of the day. And uh, last night I said, and tomorrow, you know, Uncle Heath and Katie are going to come, and they're going to visit us. We're going to have breakfast, and then we're going to go to church, and you guys are going to go to Sunday school. And Maya sits up and wait, Daddy. If I'm in Sunday school, how am I going to help you teach tomorrow? <laughs> so she was under the impression that I was giving her opportunity to help speak to you. So I scheduled it in her for next week, if that's okay. So then I went to Lauren, my second expert. Lauren Kate Leverance said this, Friendship is when you rub somebody's back. How true. The truth about friendship, though, is that it's not easy, is it? Um... It's hard work. Um, I recently heard this, this statement from someone, and unfortunately I think it's, it's um, an ideology or a way of thinking that permeates our culture, even our Christian culture. But I, I heard someone say um, that if, if friendship, they said, if, I've always thought of that if, if friendship is too much work, you know, if it takes too much effort to keep a friendship going, then it probably isn't worth it. you ever heard anything said like that? you ever heard that, that philosophy kind of... And even if we haven't heard it out loud, it's clear that, that people live that way, isn't it? That if it takes too much effort, if it's going to cost me too much, then frankly, friendship, it, it probably isn't a friendship you want to be in. I wanted to read uh, something that, that really, really struck me. 
Um, the guys have been going through this book, um, and it's been uh, been amazing. But he starts ragging on us guys that are married about being faithful to our wives and, and uh, what we got ourselves into when we made that vow, Bradley. And he says this, God always knew marriages would wither when rooted in contracts, which is why He established unconditional covenants. He knew that conditions change. He knew that conditions change. Mark, would you be willing to help me? What, what is the difference between a covenant and a contract? Sorry to put you on the spot. But I choose people that have lots of wisdom so that I... Sorry. I looked at you for a second thinking I was going to go to you, but then I was like, mm, no, Mark, probably. <laughs> Sorry. Anyone else want to take a stab at it? And I, this was eye-opening to me as well. I had not thought of it either at all. Okay. A covenant is done by the word. Contract is written. What's the difference between a commitment and an agreement then? Aaron, you want to help us? What happens in a commitment now, in a contract, what happens if one person doesn't hold up their end of a contract? What happens with that relationship? It's nullified, isn't it? Because the, the contract is set up specifically so that if one person doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, the other person can get out, right? Huh, with penalty. What's the difference then with the covenant? An unconditional covenant. It's unbreakable. I like that. Let me read it again. God always knew that marriages would wither when rooted in contracts. That's why He established unconditional covenants. He knew that conditions change. You see, God set up marriage to be unconditional, didn't He? Bradley, you made that vow to Amy to give your whole self to her. You made an unconditional covenant in the eyes of the Lord, didn't you? And guess what? If Amy tomorrow goes out and um, tells everyone how stupid you are, comes home, burns your food, uh, tells you to sleep on the couch, guess what? You are still in that covenant, aren't you? And that's the difference between a contract and a covenant. Is that a covenant is not broken when the other party doesn't hold up their end of the bargain. 
You see, a covenant is a commitment that's made uh, to that person that regardless of what you do, I promise that I will be faithful, that I will be true. Is that a clear, is that a clear distinction? And that makes a, condi- or a covenant a powerful thing, doesn't it? Let's keep reading. We're going to go back to friends here. We can't get too cut off. We'll revisit that. Jonathan and David is a story of an immense loyalty. Um, turn with me, if you could, to Samuel, First Samuel, sorry, 19, 1 to 7. Story of, of fierce loyalty, really. Does not take up a reproach against a friend. Um, if you haven't read the story of, of David's life, it's it's laid out in First Samuel. Um, take time to do it. It's a, it's exciting ride, ups and downs, roller coaster for sure. And yet God's faithful through it out. So I I challenge you to read it. But here we we look at his his buddy Jonathan. And right now David has as gained great renown. You know, David um, initially gets his fame really with Saul for um, killing Goliath. Remember the story? David and Goliath. Saul takes him on under his wing and is excited that clearly this is, is one of God's anointed men. And uh, Saul, really at the beginning when his, his heart was with the Lord, was excited about David until um, David continues to be blessed by the Lord because he's following after the Lord. Um, and everything he touches turns to gold, if you will. His, his battles, his victories become famous. Um, and songs start getting... This is what really ticks Saul off. Songs start getting written about David where uh, he's portrayed as, as greater than Saul. And Saul's the king of Israel and David's still just one of Saul's servants, really. And uh, Saul hates it. And so in that is, is where we pick up the story here because Saul is ticked and ready to take some action against David, this one that he at one point said that he loves so dearly. Um, and Jonathan is there. Um, and so here's how it goes, 19.1. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I shall tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these words, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. See what happens in that story? Saul has, has said, let's put him to death. I'm, I'm done with him. I'm sick of him. I'm going to kill him. And Jonathan, at great risk to himself, because listen, you don't get in front of an angry king, do you? Says, listen, this isn't right. 
This isn't good. And you see this fierce loyalty to David, his friend, to stand up, to, t- to tell Saul what is right, what is true. Um, and by God's grace, he's able to convince Saul's heart. He's able to ter- help to turn Saul's heart back to what is right. Um, the funny thing about this is that if Jonathan lets Saul go ahead and kill David, who gets the throne next? Jonathan. So what is there? There's tons to be gained for Jonathan if David is out of the way, isn't there? Um, there is just tons of room for Jonathan as well to have this bitterness against David, really this, this jealousy or this... Uh, but instead, um, out of his fierce loyalty at, at great risk to himself, he goes before Saul and says, wait, this isn't right, Dad. This isn't, this isn't right. Uh, David has been faithful to you. And he stands up for his friend. So when untruth is being spoken about his friend, his loyalty, his integrity, demands that he tells him what's true. When's the last time that you were loyal to your friend? When's the last time when you corrected when untruth was being spoken about one of your friends? If we're going to be people of integrity, we need to be fiercely loyal. One of the greatest things, it seems like, one of the greatest things that is missing um, from friendship is this, this concept of loyalty. And there are very few who are still loyal um, to this extent. And we need to be that kind of people. If we want to be men and women of integrity that, that say we love the Lord, we have to be um, characterized by our loyalty to one another and to our friends. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. I want to um, point out, this helps point out some of the relationship. And bear with me, we're, we're getting close to being done, so bear with me here. 1 Samuel 18, 1, if you turn there. Um, this describes kind of this relationship that David has with Jonathan. Um, it's my understanding, just because of how I feel and, and talking to some of you, one of our greatest needs, one of our greatest desires in life is this desire to be um, loved and wanted, accepted, um, respected. And really, um, who we find that in is is other people, isn't it? Um, It is our great desire, at least in my own life, and I hope you can relate, to have these kind of friendships that are so deep and so rich and so fulfilling. And really, um, we, we place a lot of our identity, don't we, in, in who our friends are. Um, how we feel about ourselves a, a lot of time is wrapped up in, in, in how our friends treat us and uh, who we've decided to make our friends. It's amazing how, how that happens. Um, and yet it is, I, I believe, a, a, a God-given desire of our heart to seek communion on a really deep re- re- level with other people. Go to uh, 1 Samuel 18.1 if you're not there again. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. 
Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Drop down to verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. It was a covenant friendship. A covenant friendship. What did we learn about covenants just a little bit ago? A covenant friendship means that it was not based on anything that David could do for Jonathan. It was not based on on David holding up his end of the bargain. A covenant friendship is one um, where at least one party commits with everything they are that they will love that other person as themselves no matter what. Um, I was struck with this thought mainly because I've just I feel like I've gotten poor at loving people. I feel like that I uh, it used to really it really did used to come naturally. Um, all the way really through high school and um, just had a really easy time loving people. Could look past people's flaws real easily. I I think I looked a little bit more like Anita Jennings <laughs> than I definitely do now. Where I had this uh, ability to love people no matter what. Um, but then life kind of starts happening and I feel like uh, different wounds, people walking away, uh, different hurts. And now all of a sudden, here I stand and, and I have an extremely hard time loving people the way I'm supposed to. I started thinking about this and I started thinking about this concept of a, of a covenant friendship. And uh, it kind of clicked and the Lord really laid on my heart um, this concept. If you are a new creation, meaning that you've been saved from your sins by the Lord Jesus, that you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus for your salvation, for the sins that you could never pay for, if that has happened in your life through faith, then you are brought into what's called the body of Christ. You have entered into a covenant relationship with God, haven't you? You see, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, when He shed His blood as a penalty for all the things that you had done wrong, all the rebelliousness, all the hate, all the hurt that you had caused, when He used His blood to cover that, He entered with you an unconditional covenant, didn't he? And that unconditional covenant was that no matter what you do, in fact, there's nothing you can do, I will choose with my own blood to pay for you. I will forgive you of your sins because I myself have become the payment. And for any of us that have have placed our faith in that promise from the Lord Jesus. We are in a covenant relationship with Him. And really, it is a, a pretty much a, 
a one-sided covenant, if you will. And, and it, it holds true only as far as God's integrity holds true. Which the good news is, God's integrity will hold true. You see, God has promised to you that He will love you, that He will care for you, that He has a place for you, that He'll never leave you or forsake you. And that is a relationship that is the most important relationship that you can ever have. Here's the thing about being a part of the body of Christ. By God's grace, I have entered into that covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus. Um, He found me. Um, He turned my eyes towards me. He opened my eyes. And I've placed my faith in Him for my salvation. And I know the character of, of my friend JP. And I feel like it's, it's witnessed in his life, but he also claims to be a changed new creation by Jesus. And guess what happens now? Me being in this covenant relationship with Jesus, part of the body of Christ, now JP gets saved and now enters into this unconditional covenant relationship with God. Guess what happens to JP and I? We're bound to one another. See, we're both part of the body of Christ. We're brothers. Much deeper than, than any blood brother could go, but a relationship that has been formed between us and the Lord by the very blood of Christ, by the very promise of Christ, by the very nature of who God is Himself. And so then, let's read in 1 John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen to this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. God has created for those of us that have placed our faith in Him, He has created unconditional friendships between us. by the very nature of who we are in Christ, by the very fact that we belong to the body of Christ, God has created between us unconditional relationships. What does that mean? That means that when He says, Beloved, let us love one another, 
That means that if Anna is unloving to me, if Anna is, is rude to me, if Anna is, is um, not truthful with me, hypothetical, don't worry, I love her because there's not conditions upon this relationship. If it was for me to set up this contract between Anna and I, if she did that to me, guess what? I'm out of there. I mean, I'm not the one that set up that contract, did it, right? I'm not the one that set up that covenant between us, am I? God Himself did. And if we're going to be men and women of integrity, we have to be faithful to the covenant that God has set up between those that know Him. You see, this church is built on unconditional friendships. And our church has to look that way. You see, it is not an option for you not to like someone in this church. It is not an option for you not to love someone in this church. Because if you are unloving to someone in this church, when I'm impatient and and rude and, and unwilling to give myself for someone else in this body, really the body of Christ in full, I am going against the covenant relationship that God has set up. And that's a serious thing. Let's read it again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Sometimes when I um, can't sleep, I kind of start to daydream about um, different things. And last night, since I knew I was going to be talking about this, I was kind of tossing and turning for a while, and I was daydreaming about what our church would look like if it was built on these unconditional friendships. If it was built on uh, this love that had been given to us from God. And really, I, it was exciting to think about what it would be like if every one of us understood and, and took into heart and, and, and practiced what God is telling us this morning. That we are betrothed, for lack of a better word, to one another. That we are promised to one another. Man, what would it look like if I loved the way God loved to you? What would it look like if you loved me the way God loved me? As we're going through the study of integrity, if we, if we want to be different, if we want to look different than the, the rest of the church, the rest of the world, um, we've got to ask God to really impact our heart on this, this part, I think. Let's pray and ask Him to do that. God, I have become an unloving person um, in a lot of ways. I'm really selfish. I like what I like. I want it my way. Um, God, I, I really get annoyed when, when something comes in the way of what I want or how I want it to look or be. And, and God, I, uh, I confess that as sin. God, I think of even the ways that I've been unloving towards my, um, 
my brothers and sisters here. Ways that I've, you know, even allowed myself to be annoyed with, with them or, or frustrated with them. And God, not to say there won't ever be bumps, but, but God, I, I feel like I have broken this unconditional friendship and, and relationship that You've made. That I've gone against what you set up. I've, I've acted like it was a contract that if they couldn't give me what I needed and what I wanted, then I was out of there. I wasn't bound to love them anymore. I wasn't bound to pay attention to them anymore or get involved with them anymore. And yet, God, it just seems like... I just, I just know that your word says differently, doesn't it? God, I can't even begin to think how I'm going to muster the strength to do this. I can't even think of how I'm going to um, put together the right steps to be able to love them like you can. And uh, yet therein lies the problem, God, because on our own strength, on our um, own ability, we can never love the way you love. So God, I pray that you'd help us to abide and, and that you'd help us to draw really close to you, that you'd help us to just live in close relationship with you in a way that your love just jumps out through us, flows through us, so that, that when we greet each other, when we um, hug each other, when we help each other, God, it, it will be apparent that we are not dealing with some foreign love, but we are dealing with the very love of God that lives in us. God, that is a radical way of living. That is um, the deepest kind of love. And I pray that you would just... Uh, take our church by force, that you would take us by storm, that you would just flow your love on us and let us to pour it out on, on each other, God. We want that. We need that. That would change our lives. It would change our church. It would change the city. God, help us, please, to love one another. Help us not to act um, on our own selfishness. We pray for your strength in your name. Amen.